Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I was just looking up the word counterintuitive in the dictionary, and it says contrary to what intuition or common sense would indicate. So that got my attention because my guest, Dr. Roger Parrott, has written a book called Opportunity Leadership, Stop Planning and Start Getting Results. And he talks about leading without a plan is the plan. That got my attention. I'm glad to have him on the program. Roger, welcome. Well, Bill, thank you. It's a treat to be with you. And yeah, it, it is pretty counterintuitive to a lot of people. But, you know, when they look at it, it makes sense because it's uh, biblically grounded. So, uh, Which I love, by the way. Yes. Yeah. So introduce it. Stop planning and start getting results. Now, we've all been taught that those who fail to plan, plan to fail. But what you're saying, Roger, is uh, you're suggesting we just give up planning altogether. That's a pretty radical recommendation. Say more. Well, it's um, it's it, it is radical, um, and and I, I think it's important to differentiate the kind of planning I'm talking about. I'm talking about long range planning, destination planning, not what I call operational planning. And so, you know, I'm president of a university, and and we know we're gonna you know play football this fall, and we're gonna teach English, and we're gonna students are dying coming. So what we know God has given us, we're going to plan very carefully. So that kind of planning we're going to do. But what we're not going to do is predict destinations of where God is going to take mm. us. And uh, that's the difference. And that is what I think can be so freeing in our Christian life, whether we're leading an organization or a church or our family or ourselves, to get rid of this burden of trying to force a a future to happen and instead trust God for opportunities that are going to be so much better than the future we can come up with. So that that's the difference. And I think, um, you know, it, it is radical in that because I'm probably the only university in the country that doesn't have a plan for 2030 on their website. But if you come <laughs> to bellhaven.edu, there is no plan. There's it. no plan. <laughs> so, Roger, let me see if I, if I get this right. What you're saying is you're going to be trusting Trusting God for the results. I am totally yeah. and completely. Yeah, and um, and uh, you know for for several reasons. I mean, first of all, I, I think we've gotten a misconception about our future, and we're responsible for it. Somehow, God's gifted us, which He has. God's entrusted us, which He has. But we kind of feel like, well, God threw us the keys of the car, and it's our responsibility to get there. And no, He's still leading. He's still in charge, and God's sovereign over all. And so let's get our plans out of the way. But we do catch, you know, hook onto those catchphrases, like you mentioned, those who fail to plan, plan to fail. Um those kinds of things 
emulate what the world has to do when they don't have God to rely on, and they come up with their best plans. But as Christians, we can let go of that and trust God to bring us opportunities. And, and you know, when you look at it, Bill, that's how, that's how Jesus operated. I mean, how many times do we see in the Gospels, he was headed one place, and somebody came and grabbed him and took him someplace else, or somebody yes. touched his garment, or, or something happened, or the crowd got too big, and he went across the lake. I mean, how many times do we see, and he never forced that destination to happen. Instead, he responded to the opportunities, and that's where his most significant ministry happened. Yeah, and, and that's the model he's given us. I, I love that, Roger, and because he did ministry on the way to doing ministry, and he was interruptible. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. He was interruptible. I, I, I can't, I can't help you right now because I'm on the way to doing ministry. I'm sorry, uh, you know. And, <laughs> exactly. And, and we do that. We do that all the time. You know, I got to stay I, on I track because I'm doing a radio interview right now. So yeah. you've got to cooperate <laughs> with me, Roger. <laughs> I tell my campus all the time: it's the interruptions where your most significant ministry is going to happen. Yeah. Now, Listen to the interruptions, because yeah. those are the opportunities God brings. Well, I love that you said that you've you've given up planning, and that you said that was like the best decision you've made in your three decades. But I need to remind uh, my audience, and I think you suggested that you are, in fact, the president of a, a university. So it's not like you're some nut that says, uh, you don't have to just give up planning. Things would be good. <laughs> I mean, you're a serious guy with a serious job, and you're still saying... Yeah, and, you know, and I was a traditional planner for half of that time. And, uh, you know, I've been uh, I've been here at Bellhaven for uh, 27 years and college president for 33 and and in in this arena of Christian education for 40 years. Half of that time I was doing the traditional planning with the committees and the and the destinations and we'll have so many students in this year and we'll raise this kind of money and we'll build this and we'll do this and that other. And what I found is two things. One, it doesn't work. It really doesn't work. You know, who who develops a plan, whether it be for your church or your ministry or your your kid's life, who doesn't have perfectly sloped growth patterns of <laughs> of how everything comes out just wonderfully? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, 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 the, and, of course, all the answers are always in round numbers, which is always interesting to me. You know, yeah, nobody's got a plan for 20, 2030. Nobody's got a plan for 2031 or 2029. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but what I found is it doesn't work, but more importantly, we're settling for less than God's best. We're settling for the best we can envision, and instead he wants to do so, so much more than what we can plan. And and that's what I found is the difference. So, yeah, I, I gave up planning, long-range planning. Again, differentiation is really important. But I gave that up 20 years ago, yeah. and it is the single best decision I ever made. There is a freedom in leadership, and there is a level of dependency and trust in God that I never thought was possible. And yeah. it's, it is terrific. Yeah. Roger, is anybody saying to you, uh, I don't know, Roger just doesn't want to plan. I just think he's lazy. <laughs> well, you know, you got to deal with that question. I always tell people, if you want to do this, don't do it overnight. You're going to get fired because you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, the new plan is we have no plan. So, yeah, the new plan is we have no plan, yeah. and you're not working here anymore. So uh, it all works out great. So if, if planning is ineffective because um, it, it can hinder the success of a ministry, why do so many leaders and organizations stay committed to planning even if they know it's going to be ineffective? 
I, I think we do it to emulate the world um, because we in the Christian world have gotten pretty good at building our plans that are big and impressive. And um, I think we do it because we think donors expect it. And what I found is donors are much more excited about God's interventions than they are about our plans. Um, you know, I think we assume that decisions have to be evaluated in this complex kind of uh, multi-layered uh, arena, and we, we can't move until we till we know we're never going to make a mistake. You layer on all this stuff. But the, the model I use uh, to communicate to my campuses, we want to be a sailboat prepared to catch the wind of God and go wherever God's wind takes us, rather than a powerboat that goes where we think God wants us to go and ignores the wind. And part of our challenge in the Christian world is we built some pretty impressive powerboats, and they look good, and they are strong, and they will go where we think God wants us to go, and they'll press through. But in the process, we are ignoring the wind of God because we don't have to be dependent on it. Mm. We're dependent on the motor we're creating, and we can do much, much better than that. Yeah. I think this is really interesting, um, and I am convinced that so much of ministry that I've done in my life that had such incredibly satisfying sort of interactions came as a result of me responding to an interruption. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and I've surveyed hundreds of leaders in the Christian world, and they're all saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. The significant things in my life I didn't plan. Mm-hmm. It was an opportunity. It was an interruption. It was not something I expected to do, and God had a different different idea. And when we respond to those opportunities, that's when God really opens the door for us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, and, and, and it just really is kind of remarkable because, again, we're settling for second best. I, I did a, a, um, a um, exercise with my board. We were several years into this, and, and, I, and I went into a board meeting, and I, um, and I gave him a paper, and it said five-year plan. And there were, there were 72 points on it of, of <laughs> things in the five-year plan. Mm-hmm. But, and, of course, they knew we didn't do planning. So they're looking at it like, uh, you know, you don't do planning, so why are you bringing us a five-year plan? And I used my words carefully to talk as if it was the, the future, but it really was the past. Well, the, the five key things of the plan were we were going to increase our enrollment 43%. We were going to raise $21 million in gifts, which was, for us was a ton of money, build $30 million in new buildings, seven undergraduate programs, eight graduate programs. We're going to do this in five years. And I said, okay, obviously that's not what we're doing the next five years. That's what we did the last five years. Now, here's the here's the critical issue. If five years ago we had looked at this plan together, we would have taken all those goals and cut them in about half Mm -hmm. and still thought we were doing pretty good. Mm -hmm. But instead, by not having a plan, we were able to do so much more than we ever could have done if we had a plan. And, And that's the unleashing of of God's best in our life that I'm anxious for Christian leaders to recapture. Mm-hmm. Roger, I remember talking to a guy who was a sales manager of a big company, and I said, do you sit down with your salespeople and set goals with them? And he said, oh, heavens no. No, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't give them any uh, number goal because then they'll yeah. work to achieve that. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and, and I then said, they'll stop. Yeah, I said, well, yeah. how has it turned out? And he said, the least performing salesperson did uh, 9% over 
the goal I would have set for that person. And everybody else was 20 to 40 percent higher than the goal I would have set for them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it it really is amazing. And, uh, you know, I I think by a lot of the structure we do in business or in the church, uh, in our own lives, a lot of the structure keeps us from really achieving at those higher levels. Yeah, but, right. you know, one of the endorsers of my book was was uh, Jim Morgan, who was the president of Krispy Kreme, who turned that company around. You know, when they were in real trouble and and had such huge success, and and he endorsed the book and he said, "This is how we did it. We yeah. captured opportunities. We didn't have a plan. We captured opportunities. And so this this you know this is not. And I'm really anxious." push this idea of when I talk about it in the book, it's not a new concept of leadership. It's a biblical concept of leadership. If God's sovereign in everything, then let's let him be sovereign in our future. Yeah. I'm, not just I'm more in, interested in our theology. Yeah. Roger, I'm more interested in his product than I am his business strategy. <laughs> your Krispy Kreme guy. Yeah. 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 All right. I'm staying in line for that. Yeah. We'll take a little break and we'll come back more with Dr. Roger Parrott. And his uh, book is called Opportunity Leadership, Stop Planning and Start Getting Results. If you have a question for uh, Dr. Parrott, you can let me know what it is. I should have time to ask him, Forget everything you know about working your plan. This is uh, part of what's in a very counterintuitive book written by Dr. Roger Parrott. He's my guest. His book is called Opportunity Leadership, Stop Planning and Start Getting Results, which I find very intriguing. Uh, Was there a a moment, Roger, that was kind of an event in your life where you kind of flipped the switch and said, all right, no more planning? Yeah, there was. Uh, we were we were in trouble about planning, and um, <laughs> and uh, at, at the university, and I was new in the southern region, and the accrediting standards are different across the south than they are in some other other accrediting regions of the U.S. And when I got here, we had trouble. And I called uh, I called uh, uh, Tom Courts, who was the president of uh, of uh, Samford University, and happened to be chair also of the accrediting board. And I said, Tom, I'm having this problem, and I'm new in the South, and and can you help me? He said, Yeah, I'll, I'll not only help you, I'll come over and spend an afternoon with you. And he came in with his vice president for planning. And working out with us, kind of the structure we needed to satisfy the accreditors and all. And he said something, and that moment is what flipped the switch. He said in front of his vice president for planning, he said, you know, I don't think anything we've done of significance at Sanford has ever been planned. It came through opportunities. Mm. And that had been the passion that I had been feeling, but I'd never heard anybody say it out loud. Now, here's one of the best college presidents of the country. He says it out loud, and then it just kind of it just kind of came out from that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. But, you know, everybody's done this in the last three years. If you had a plan three years ago, you don't have one now because <laughs> nobody point. had COVID in their plan. That's a good point. And it, and, 
and if you had a plan a year ago, you probably don't have one now because you probably didn't have the recession in your plan. And, um, and you know, but what happened? Take COVID, for example. What happened is it, when you don't have a plan, you can begin to stretch boundaries you think are absolutes. So churches could still have ministry without a Sunday morning service. Restaurants could serve without a dining room open. Presidential inaugurations could happen without a crowd. Uh, you know, we all learned to flex and change when the plan got blown up. And, and you know, I think there's an innovation that comes when we let go of planning. I mean, one thing we did for our university, which I never would have done otherwise, I'd look at these students coming back after the second year of COVID and, you know, and they'd had it in high school and all depressed. And I thought, what are we going to do to help them think about the future, not just about the immediacy of what's going on? I thought, let's give them all a free master's. And so we're, we're giving every student who comes this fall, once they stay and graduate, a free master's degree when, when they, after they graduate. And, wow. and it's great. Now, I never would have considered that if it hadn't been that, the, that the, 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 the boundaries got blown up because the plan totally got destroyed for everybody. And so I see out of this, although obviously COVID is a horrible, horrible thing, um, and, and my daughter is the longest-suffering post-COVID person in the country been in bed for two and a half years so i know personally the damage of it but um but past past the horribleness of it it did bring an innovation into people's lives that they had to improvise they had to look for opportunities they had to go fast they had to change the way they do it because they didn't have a plan we need to keep that alive now that we're getting past COVID, and keep that same spirit going. Mm, so interesting. And Roger, I'm so sorry about your daughter. Um, that's, hard, mm. that's hard news to hear. God bless her. It's been a journey. Yeah. And we work with Mayo Clinic, and, but no, you know, they don't have the answers. Yeah, they don't have right. the answers. But um, yeah, we've got, a, we've got a program in China, and she was there in November of 19 with me for our graduation of our MBA program. And uh, she's 28 years old and had finished her master's. And we're hugging all our graduates, and we say, where are you from? And they said, we're from a town you haven't heard of. It's called Wuhan. And uh, three days later, she got sick. And so it's been, um, but, you know, she a uh, lot better off than some families. But thanks for your concern. But, mm-hmm. but you know, again, the, 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 the realness of everybody living without a plan, let's capture the good parts of that. Mm-hmm. Because this is about a mindset. It's about an outlook. It's about a... Uh, creating a culture within our church or ministry or our family. It's about a theology. I call it a theology of trust. I mean, if you don't completely trust God, then yeah, you better stick with your planning. You better absolutely stick with your planning. But if you can completely trust God for that future that is uncertain, it'll be so much better than what you can come up with in your plan. Aren't the greatest plans, Roger, when when you, you are planning or you're in trying to endeavor, or you're pursuing something, and you say, if God doesn't show up in a significant way, this thing is toast. Well, you know, that's the great thing about when we've been doing this, because we've been able to do things so far beyond anything we could imagine. You know the Lord did it. I mean, you absolutely know, because you could not have made that happen. Right. And, and I think as Christian leaders, there's a lot of good stuff we can make happen. Mm-hmm. But we're, you know, we're not really stretched out to the point that if God doesn't do it, we're, we are toast, as you say. Yeah. 
too often we because we, we keep those plans where they stretch us, but we know we can do them because mm-hmm. we got this great fear of failure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, I think part of of living without a plan is capturing God's opportunities that sometimes succeed at the moment, and sometimes they're preparation for something else yet to, yet to come. And they may not succeed at the moment. And that's okay. And we're comfortable with that in uh, in our culture at Belhaven. Roger, teach my spectacular listeners how to learn to love roadblocks. <laughs> yeah, you know, in in the Christian world and and Christians and and leaders by nature want to want to plow through roadblocks. As soon as a roadblock hits, we want to. That's when we go into overgear. We're going to fix this. We're going to make this go away. Whatever. Instead. Let's start asking, what's God trying to say in the roadblock? What's God trying to teach us? Maybe God's protecting us. Maybe God's leading us another direction. Sometimes he's just stopping us. You know, we all celebrate when God says yes to the things we think he ought to do. But when he says no, his no is as good as a yes. <laughs> Often it's better, Yeah, but it's harder to hear. And so when you've got a roadblock as a leader, you know, you can do three things. And I, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest and... We used to, they used to uh, float the logs down the river, you know, to move them. And uh, sometimes they'd get these big log jams. And so when you hit those log jams like that and the, and the logs all get bungled up together and they're just stuck and they keep building up on each other, you can do three things. One is you can go in with a, a long steel pole and try and move them. And if you're a very good person, uh, Person with that and skilled, you can probably do it, but boy, you can get hurt and you can you can get killed. And a lot of leaders go in and try to force things to happen, and they get hurt in the process. Second thing is you do is you can blow it up. You can put dynamite in it and just blow it up and see what happens. And too often we try to fix problems that way. The third thing you can do is you can wait. And what I have found is if as those logs rub against each other something will begin to move and the log jams do move out of the way. But I think in those roadblocks, God is trying to tell us something, but as leaders, we think somehow that's a trigger for us to go into action. And instead of listening to God, we're moving too fast. We're not even hearing what he's trying to teach us when those roadblocks come. They're some of the most important times of our life, and I think we're missing them. Mm Mm-hmm. A listener just uh, sent me a text, Roger, and he he said the Marine motto is improvise, adapt, and overcome. (laughs) So I need to make you an honorary Marine. Because I think that's yeah, perfect. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, as they say, there, there's no plan in war once the first bullet, the first bullet shot or the first bomb goes off, because it is. It's all about improvising. It, it really is. And uh, and uh, but somehow we feel like we're not carrying God's responsibility if we don't have it all neat and tidy and fitting into a plan with you know beautifully sloping charts and all this kind of stuff. But again, it doesn't work, and we're just settling for. You know, I often get asked, well, what's Bellhaven going to be in, in in 10 years from now? What do you expect the university to be? And I say, you know, I don't know. But what I do know is the best plan we could come up with is pale in comparison to the oh. plan that God has I, for us. I like it. And we're going to stay out of the way, and we're going to let God lead. Yeah, Roger, thanks so much for doing this show. It's really a delight to meet you. 
What a treat to talk with you. Thank, Thank you, you so for the much. invitation. You bet. Dr. Roger Parrott's been my guest. His book is Opportunity Leadership. Stop planning and start getting results. We'll take a break. We'll be back with Beverly Canaris. We're going to talk about considering consecration. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you've got a nice dinner plan. If you just jumped in your car, I'm going to spend some time with Beverly Canaris. And I always look forward to talking to Bev. She's uh, always got such a way with framing things. Because today we're talking about considering consecration. And you go, well, who's going to talk about that in the same way? I guess it's going to be you, Bev. Well, it's kind of an odd topic. It is an odd topic, It's an odd topic, but as I've meditated on this and looked up the scriptures, thought about it, studied it, prayed about it, it's become so precious to me, Bill. I love that. And and I think that we miss something if we don't take a closer look at what this means. We have we have work to do, Bev, because I think there's going to be people saying, "Well, let's define it. Let's let's get in, let's get into the weeds here." Yeah, I think we need to yes. because it's become archaic, actually, in our culture. This idea of consecration, you know, language and words—they really do matter. And I think we're finding that out more than ever these days, where. Words have been changed, meanings have been changed, and we find ourselves kind of on a minefield of trying to figure out what that word means anymore. So many of our words have changed from their initial meaning. So if if we want to go deeper in our understanding of our Christian faith, words, Bill, aren't they important? They're so important to understand. Absolutely. So we have to stay true to these words and what they truly mean. The main spiritual truth we need to know and guard those spiritual tr- those spiritual terms. We we need to maintain those the integrity of those terms. So, consecration here it is. This is one we don't talk about. I've never heard anybody talk about it before, but consecration it is today. So, listen up, audience. This should be fascinating. Hmm. Let's just start out with a definition. Always, we need to understand what exactly am I saying in a few words by consecration. Well, I'm going to be using the New Unger's Bible Dictionary to help us define this. And this is how the Bible Dictionary defines it. Consecration, the act of setting apart any person or thing to the worship or service of God. Now, some of you, if you have some Bible knowledge, you might be saying, well, isn't that just the same as holy? Because holy does mean to be set apart as well. But with holiness, there is a moral aspect in holiness that you don't find so much in consecration. Consecration is a little bit different. There's a nuance here that um, is very rich in its understanding. God is three times holy. He is perfect and morally perfect. And even the Bible tells us that no one will see the Lord who is not holy. And and that's from Hebrews 12. The good news here is that God provides holiness through faith in Christ, and he also consecrates us. So those things have a slightly different meaning here. You know, I feel that our culture has really lost much of the idea of consecration. Everything is equal. There's no Mm -hmm. sacred. There's no holy spaces or holy people. 
And just as an illustration, getting married today, you can get married anywhere by anybody. But, you know, it wasn't that long ago when we considered being married in a church that was consecrated to God as being something very special, very sacred. Um, Also, to be married by a person who was consecrated to the service of God to marry us. Now, this is just an observation. It's not a judgment on how and where people marry. It's just an observation of the change in our culture and how much more foreign this concept of consecration is. Another example is ordination. It used to be that churches, you had to be ordained, you had to go to seminary, and now we find pastors kind of self-appointed, coming into it, um, feeling, quote, called by the Lord. Uh, So there we're missing something perhaps in consecration concepts within the church even. Or how about all these empty churches? You know, it's sad that so many churches are closing their doors. And what are they being used for? They're being used for restaurants. People are living in them. They're Mm -hmm. knocking them down. Um, So this idea of some place that is wholly dedicated to God, that's consecrated or an individual who is consecrated to the Lord, set aside for his purposes, has kind of become foreign to us. But we always have to go to Scripture, don't we, Bill? We just we can't talk about this without looking into the Scripture to find out what does Scripture say about consecration. Well, if we look in the Old Testament first, and then we're going to go to the New Testament, and things change in the New Testament. So as I go through the Old Testament illustrations, remember that, that it's going to have a big change here in the New. Well, in Exodus 13 in the Old Testament, we read that the firstborn son was to be consecrated to the Lord. And the reason was because they were spared in the plague that came upon Egypt for having uh, the Israelites in slavery. Remember, the firstborn son died, but Israel was spared that because they put the blood on the lintel of their door, which is really a beautiful picture of the gospel for another time. But the firstborn then were to be consecrated. They belonged to God because he spared them. That is such a picture of salvation right there. And then when the people are building the temple, they get the structure and all of its furnishings were to be consecrated to the Lord. In other words, handled in a special way, not for common use. It was special because this was the Lord's house. And the way that they consecrated this, God instructed Moses to use an anointing oil that was placed on these different items. They were to be handled in a special way and to be used only for the purpose of the worship of God. Also, in that same area of the Bible, priests and Levites were also consecrated for the Lord's service. They were to wear certain clothing that symbolized them, so setting them apart in their consecration. They went through a cleansing process and an anointing again to show that they had been consecrated. Oil was used in that uh, sense, just like it did in the um, actual temple. Now, also in Leviticus 20, um, the people in general were told to consecrate themselves It says in uh, Leviticus 20, Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am the Lord your God. Because God has chosen to be their God, he was asking them to set themselves apart for him and to serve him. He said, Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am the Lord your God. And I just circled that word, your God. So people in the Old Testament were under the Mosaic Covenant that was 
that meant to be uh, follow this law, the ritual law, as well as the moral law. This was how they were to consecrate themselves as well as going through these kind of um, activities where they would wash their clothes, a symbol of cleansing. They would abstain from certain activities so that they could be free to worship the Lord. It would put them in a position to hear and to receive from the Lord and to serve and to worship the Lord. So that's really a picture of some Old Testament consecration illustrations. And there's also other people besides the priests and Levites were also uh, consecrated by the Lord. There's Samuel. He was definitely consecrated to the Lord by his mother, who set him apart Mm -hmm. from birth, even before he was conceived in the womb. He was set aside. David was um, consecrated to the Lord in serving as king. Jeremiah uh, was called as a youth, and you should hear him try to get out of his consecration. First (laughs) chapter of Jeremiah, I happen to love that chapter. Uh, And there were so many others who God came to them and consecrated them, set them apart for his special purpose. But now I think it's really important that we kind of fast forward to the New Testament and the new covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, things in the New Testament can also be consecrated. 1 Timothy 4, 4, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. I've always kind of wondered about that verse. What exactly does that mean? Well, what was said previously in this chapter in 1 Timothy um, was that certain um, heretical groups were saying marriage and eating certain foods was wrong. But marriage, as we know, is a God-instituted union, and marriage is to be consecrated to the Lord, set apart for him. It's a, it's a union that he um, has instituted, and it's set apart for his glory and as an image of the gospel. Now, that eating or not eating certain foods was not an indication of holiness. They were trying to teach them that that was important. All that God created this passage is saying, is to be received from God with thanksgiving, with prayer. Marriage and eating is to be received from God and is to be set apart with thankfulness to him. That's what consecrates our food. Interesting thought, isn't it? As mm-hmm. we bow before um, our lunch, before we're in, for in a restaurant to thank the Lord, that really consecrates it, setting apart the food for Uh, acknowledging God in thankfulness for the food and consecrating it. And so marriage, eating food, it's all to be partaken in according to his word in the Bible. That's what really consecrates it. If you go back at that verse again from 1 Timothy, it says that they were consecrated by the word, by God's word and prayer. So that's very important that it is... It's a consecration that comes according to God's word. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10.23, it says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but not all things, but all things do not 
edify. In other words, not everything is good for me, that even though it is not sinful, it still not be right for me. Um, And again, this is something that's different in the New Testament. The ceremonial law, we do not keep. We we do not offer sacrifices like that. We we don't have these different holidays that the uh, early Jews did. But we do observe the moral law. So that's kind of a little commentary on that particular aspect of consecration. Also in the New Testament are some special consecrations to a kind of special service. Acts 13, 2 and 3. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So here is Paul and Barnabas. They're praying, they're worshiping the Lord, and they feel the Holy Spirit telling them that Paul and Barnabas are to go and have a special work. So they are consecrating them. They put their hands on them. They fasted, they prayed, and they sent them off on a uh, missionary journey, multiple journeys. Now, also the New Testament talks about spiritual gifts and offices as being given from God to be used by him for the building up of the church. So some of these offices and giftedness are special consecrations as well from the Lord that he has set you apart for a distinct purpose. In the New Testament, did you know, Bill, that all Christians are consecrated persons? Well, I just learned that five seconds ago. <laughs> That's how new that is to me. Yeah. And, and Bev, to be honest, the, the word consecration or consecrated is now jumping off the page. Yeah. Even when I'm seeing this verse and I, the, the one you just mentioned in First Timothy chapter 4, because it, it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. And now I'm just thinking of all these moments that I can remember in church where, you know, we're sending missionaries overseas and we're laying hands on them and consecrating them for their mission and their work and and all these references is now to consecrate, um, being consecrated has just gotten my attention. Hasn't it? Yeah, it has. It's something so special and yes. so unique. And so missing to today. To Christians, it's become nothing, yeah, actually. Yeah, no kidding. Nothing. Yeah, let's take a break. Great. Uh, Beverly Canaris is my guest. She taught Bible study fellowship for 31 years and also is co-host of the podcast, She is Becoming. We're going to come back and continue to talk about consecration and considering consecrate consecration. So we'll be right back. Join me. I'm with Beverly Canaris, and we're talking about, Bev, say the word? Consecration. Consecration. Got to make sure you say that It's correctly. almost a foreign word. I agree, but now I'm seeing it jump off the pages in Scripture, and I've got a lot of interest in it now. Yeah, let's, let's and, dive deeper. And you say that all Christians are consecrated persons. Yes, they are. I learned that today. Yeah, and let's back that up biblically. Yes, please do. Right? First Peter 2, 9, but you, he's talking to Christians now, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Israel was an illustration of this. They were to be a holy nation. They were to be a consecrated people. But now that has come into full fruition through Christ. We're the chosen people. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And to be a royal priesthood we have, and a chosen people, we are consecrated. God has consecrated us, chosen us, given us this royal priesthood. We've become holy through Christ. We are God's special possession. We belong to him. When we, are, when we say we're consecrated and the Bible says we're consecrated, we belong to him. And then our purpose, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So people run around banging their heads on the wall. Purpose, what's my purpose? Who am I? Read 1 Peter 2.9. You are, you are a Christian. God has chosen you. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, and you have a job to do that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I love that I love that verse. I love that verse. I do too. Mm -hmm. I do too. Well, so being a royal priesthood really means that we serve a king. Royal, get that? King. The Lord Jesus Christ is our king. Being a priesthood means that we are consecrated to the Lord, set apart for the worship and for the service of God. He's not making a a definition here between, you know, a pastor and the, what we might say, the -the run-of-the-mill Christian, me, maybe you. Um, This is for all Christians. Mm -hmm. This is who we are. This is our identity. This is powerful. So how does it work in our life? What does it look like? Well, um, since at the same time, we're told in Romans 3, this could confuse us. And in many other places in the Bible, Romans 3.23, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if, if that's true, how can we also be the royal priesthood and the holy people of God? How do we get consecrated to God from sinners? Enter the gospel. Uh, Romans 3, if you keep reading down that chapter, it tells you exactly how. Verse 24, And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And then if you jump down to 28, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So by faith in Christ, we believe in him and his redemption, his shed blood for our sins. Our sins are covered. Christ takes our sin on that cross, forgives them, takes them away. And then you know what he gives us? His holiness, his righteousness. Mm -hmm. And he consecrates us then. It's by faith in Christ and what he has done how we are consecrated. It's not through doing good works or being the nice gal, the nice guy. Uh, It is through our faith in Christ and what he has done for us brings us into this new identity and consecrates our lives for God because he's now our God. So we consecrate ourselves as well. And are therefore referred to as saints. Yes, we are. That's another great component Mm -hmm. to bring in here. Yeah. Because a lot of people say, well, 
saints or in the Old Testament or saints are the ones that have been canonized by a church. But actually, Scripture calls Christians saints, mm-hmm. holy ones, because of we are given Christ's holiness. In other words, that's our standing, and that is who we are in the eyes of God, what our personhood is now in 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 light of who Christ is, it's it's low as though Christ was standing before God. Now, my being has become so identified with Christ, and that is just an amazing thing. So, yes, sinners, I confess my sins. I declare my faith in Jesus Christ, and then God, um, at at that point, that is when I am consecrated, set apart. And given the holiness that comes from Christ, I don't have my own holiness. I never, I never will until I am uh, glorified in heaven. Mm-hmm. Will I have that? But then there's this um, perpetual uh, glorif- um, sanctification that happens here on in the world as well. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Another important part of our consecration is the Holy Spirit. Think about how the Holy Spirit is involved in this consecration process. The Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, and he resides in the person who has just received by faith Christ. We just talked about that. By faith in him, and we have accepted his offer of salvation. So this, the Holy Spirit plays a key part in our consecration. A very important verse that talks about the Holy Spirit and this idea of consecration by the Holy Spirit is from Ephesians 1.13. And when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, when you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Hallelujah. So, hallelujah. So, what this is saying is having, when you receive Christ by faith, then you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He sets us apart. He seals us, which gives us security in our salvation. And he consecrates us with that um, anointing. In the Old Testament, the oil was always associated with the Spirit of God. So here we have believers being consecrated with the oil of the Holy Spirit. Mm. That do you, the parallels yeah. are, are just amazing to me. He is Christ in us, his presence within us. We truly are different from those unconverted because of the presence of the Spirit of God in us. It's the Holy Spirit in us that causes us to grow up into our standing of holiness. He directs us in a process called sanctification. We become more like Christ. And I just love this parallel with oil being the Spirit of God and that we are sealed. Being sealed is a vital part of our consecration as well. It's it's God's hand on us that we belong to him now. Ownership has changed. I just want to kind of leave with a few, some, some up would, of some I, thoughts. I would love that, yeah. Okay, so... We are consecrated or made holy through faith in Christ and his blood sacrifice that cleansed us from our sin and made us holy in our standing before God. That's a little different from the progressive holiness that we have through sanctification. Jesus Christ is the sinless one. He kept the law perfectly on our behalf, making us who have faith in him 
able to be consecrated to God. Mm-hmm. So, 1 Corinthians, I think this is kind of a linchpin verse with this as well. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So as our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, and at that that um, consecration that we have gone through and receiving that Spirit, God's hand upon us, His ownership on us, we no longer belong to ourselves. Our lives belong to God. We are consecrated for Him. That should really make a difference in how we live our life. Um, what does this mean for us in everyday life then? If, if you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are consecrated to him and set apart for his purposes. Mm, so good. We no longer live for ourselves, but for him. Your life is not common. Your life is connected to God's own life and his purposes in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is amazing. I just have enjoyed this so much, and I want to give uh, people, uh, listeners, something to take to the dinner table tonight. Uh, if you're just getting out of your car, I want you to remember First Peter two nine. First Peter two nine. You are, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are consecrated. Thanks, Beth. Amen. That's great. All right. That is uh, all the time we have today. Uh, Beverly Canaris has been my guest. If you miss any of this, you're not going to want to miss it. Go to the podcast and check it out. But I'd say that about the whole show today. It's been a great one. Thanks to all my guests, the guys, the guy talk and Dr. Roger Parrott talked about opportunity leadership. Uh, he said, stop planning and start getting results. And then Beverly Canaris, who is my guest talking about consecration. Check it out at MyFaithRadio.com. Have a great night. I'm looking forward to spending time tomorrow with you. And uh, sleep well. When you lay your head on that pillow, know that God loves you and working out his great plan in your life. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.